they go. Good morning. I cannot tell you how much I love you. 34 years ago, I walked through that back door and I was greeted by Patsy Day, who then ushered me down to about the middle section over there where the singles of this church used to hang out. And I literally sat down and the first person's hand I shook was Philip Fairchild. It's amazing that here we are 34 years later and Anne-Marie and I get to work together to serve our great God. So I want to begin with a word of prayer for our church family as well as our community and then we'll begin diving into the word of God this morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We love who you are. You are our Heavenly Father. Please hear our prayers this morning. We have many in our church family who are struggling right now, and Lord, we just ask that you will comfort them with the comfort that only you can provide. We lift up at this time Lib Bowick's daughter, Dana Brody, who is now battling cancer. Lord, for Faustina Mahaffey, as she has COVID and has been taken to the hospital, and we pray, Lord, that you will give her strength and healing. For Lib Godfrey and her family as they continue to grieve the loss of her brother, Paul Bent. For the Crosby family at the passing of John Crosby. Lord, we praise you for Charlie Elmore's eye surgery and that it went well. We pray for continued healing for him and Margie. Lord, we pray for Pat Fletcher, that you will continue to strengthen her and give her good health. Father, there are many in our church who are battling cancer. Earl Bayham, Carol Brown, Ted Eshelman, Fred Gregory, Charlotte Judge, Jim McGinnis and Tommy Williamson. Father, be present with them. Let them feel your loving touch upon their lives. Let them know that you are ever present and that you will never leave them nor forsake them. Finally, Lord, we pray for our church family, for healing, for comfort, for peace, and for community. Lord, I love to see our church family hugging one another, talking with one another, laughing together. I know this warms your heart. Help us through this season, Father, because we cannot do it without you. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we revere it, we lift it up, we stand under it, and Lord, we ask that you will guide us into all truth, for your word is truth, and your son, Jesus Christ, is the living word, and it's in him that we want to worship in spirit and in truth today. And we pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Redeemer, and our friend. Amen. 
Well, happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. I hope that you get spoiled today. And uh, I've already been spoiled um, by uh, my family. Uh, and I just hope that uh, you're not like that one father that I saw in the grocery store not too long ago. I saw him on aisle three. And he had a two-year-old sitting in the front of the buggy or cart. I, when I moved down, it was a cart, but now it's a buggy, right? And he was in the front, and this little two-year-old was just not having a good day. He was crying and, and whining that he didn't want to be there, and he was kicking against the cart. How many of you can relate to that? Okay, all right. Some of you right now, this week, has happened to you. And I just saw the father as he was moving down aisle three, and he said, it's okay, Johnny, it's not going to take long before we're out of here. Well, I saw him again on aisle five. You know how that works. You kind of go back and forth, and I saw him on aisle five, and boy, the two-year-old really now is not happy. He is actually crying. Tears are streaming down his face, and I hear his father once again very calmly say, it's okay, Johnny, just a few more aisles, and then we're home. Well, then I saw him in aisle seven, and aisle seven, now it has gotten nuclear. The two-year-old is absolutely beside himself. He is trying to get out of the cart, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. But once again, I see the dad, and the dad's like, Johnny, we're almost done. We're almost out of here. Well, I was just blown away by the patience of this father, so I caught him at the checkout line, and I walked up to him, and I said, you know what, man, one dad to another. I got to tell you, that was amazing how patient you were with your son, Johnny. And he said, well, thank you, but just so you know, that's not Johnny. I am. Some of us, how many of you dads in the here have to talk yourself off the ledge, right? Well, this reminds me of how it is glad to be in the Lord's house. So are you glad to be in the Lord's house this morning? Amen. If you are, then turn to your neighbor and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now turn to your other neighbor and said, say, to your, say to your neighbor, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. What I believe is the ultimate Father's Day parable. Luke chapter 15, and uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 821. Bottom of 821, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read just verses 11 through 24 this morning because there are literally two acts to this parable, and this is the first act that we are going to read this morning. This is how it goes in my Bible. Follow as, you, uh, as I read. Verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered all his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything 
a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This particular passage is well known to many of us. And in fact, in your Bible, it's probably titled The Parable of the Prodigal Son. How many of you have that in your Bible? The Parable of the Prodigal Son. Some other Bibles may say The Parable of the Lost Son. But, you know, why... It's called that, I'm not sure, because frankly, this parable, Act 1, which I just read, as well as Act 2, when the father addresses the elder son, is really all about the loving father. The loving father. He uh, is the main character in the parable, and in fact, he is the first uh, character to be named by Jesus Christ. In, a, in fact, he also appears in both acts of this parable, once addressing the younger son and then secondly, the elder son. So this parable, I would say, is more about the loving father. So now we need to ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus tell us this parable? It's one of the most famous parables of all. Some would say it's the best parable that Jesus ever told. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it here? You know, anytime you open up the Word of God and you start studying a particular passage, you need to answer four questions. Who wrote this? To whom did this person write this? For what purpose did they write this? And then when did they write write this. Well, we know this was Luke who wrote this, and he is recording the words of Jesus Christ, but we find the answer for why Jesus told this parable all the way back in verses 1 and 2. Look at chapter 15 with me again in verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, 
this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you see that Jesus here is telling this parable because the Pharisees were making comments, mumbling to one another about the kind of characters that Jesus Christ was hanging around. He was hanging around sinners. Well, sinners in Jesus' day, especially in the eyes of the Pharisees, they were a scourge to the religious elite. In fact, Pharisees had the opinion that these sinners were not uh, blessed by God. They were cursed of God. They looked down their nose at people who were sinners. In addition to that, you, you see that Jesus is hanging around tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were kind of, you think about the IRS. Well, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were hated even more. Why? Because, first of all, they collected an un healthy amount of money from people for evil Rome. In addition to that, they also padded their own pockets with money that they collected from the poor people of Israel of that day. And so they were typically wealthy people, and therefore there's yet another wedge between them and the common people who had gathered around Jesus Christ and followed him. Now, why were they following Jesus? Because of his miracles, because of his authoritative teaching, and because of his love for the masses. And the Pharisees were grumbling, complaining about the kind of people that Jesus hung around. Well, I'm here to declare to you this morning that Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. We as a church must take our eyes off of ourselves and look out to Charleston. There are people that the Heavenly Father wants to bring home. And our job as a church is to do exactly what Jesus did to seek and to save that which is lost. And so that's the context in which we then see three consecutive parables. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And then, of course, the parable that we just read, the parable, what I would call, of the loving father. Because the emphasis here in Jesus' all three of these parables is really on the seeker, not those being sought. So now we're going to look at five particular um, actions of the loving father. The first one is the father gives. The father gives. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, the younger son has a brash request. Can you imagine his father sitting in the den in the afternoon? And the younger son comes in. He's old. He's, he's of age. And he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. What a brash request. But as in today, the same is true back in that day, the inheritance, while due to the children, did not normally get transferred until after the father is dead. Well, this father is still living. 
Think about how bold and demanding this particular request must have been to this father. I want my money. Essentially what the young son is saying is that you're better off dead to me so that I can have your money. This is the attitude of the younger man. He felt like living out on the farm with his father was kind of getting boring. He wanted to go to the big city. And so he wanted money. And he went to his dad and he asked him for it. Now, in Mosaic law, whenever the inheritance is divided, the eldest son gets a double portion Back in Deuteronomy, we learned this, that the eldest son gets a double portion. And so the eldest son would have gotten two-thirds of the father's estate, which means the younger son would have gotten one-third. So now let me ask you a question. When it says there that he divided his property between them, is it not clear that his father went ahead and gave the elder son his portion as well? It's true. And so therefore, he has given a third to the younger son, and he has given two-thirds to the elder son. So how much did the father give? He gave it all. You know, that is such an important lesson for us, that our heavenly father gave all. Jesus Christ said this, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or ask for an egg and will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is my heavenly father wanting to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This idea of how much more expresses the true, immense love of our Heavenly Father. And so here the Father in this story gives all. So we have to ask the question, what has our Heavenly Father, what has God given to the world? Well, <laughs> He's given us creation. He has, his handiwork is evident in everything that we see. Romans chapter 1 says that the God who created everything, his invisible attributes are clearly seen so that man is without excuse. Just look outside. Just look at the birth of a newborn infant and understand that God gave us natural revelation of his creative power. Secondly, he gave us uh, his image. It says that every single person ever born is born in the image of God. That is, that we are God's representatives on this earth, and not just those who are in Christ, but every single person. So here's a challenge for all of us. As you are out in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in the community, and you see people, just know that God created them in his image. This is a powerful gift from our Holy Father. Thirdly, he has given the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit not only indwells the believer when we receive Christ, but furthermore, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's working on the hearts of every single person. The Holy Spirit is moving. Furthermore, He has given us His Word. Both Old and New Testaments, the Law and the Prophets, as well as the writings of the New Testament, the letters that bear testimony to the one thing that He gave that no one could come to the Father except by Him, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came down so that the sons of men may go up. This is the gospel because of Jesus' death, burial, and yes, resurrection. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God has given us the good news. The world needs to hear good news. And he's given us the church. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a light on a hill. It is not to be hidden. It is to be a beacon of hope for the world. Ashley River, the word of God commands us to be a light on a hill. For West Ashley and anyone who travels up and down this highway to see our church as a church who loves one another, loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and loves them without condition. Come home is what the church is called to do. So this is what the Father gives. So the Father gives all, just like our Heavenly Father gives all, but that leads us to the second action of the loving Father. The Father lets go. Look at verse 13a. And when I say a, that means the first part of the verse. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. The younger son's brash request gives him the money that he needs to go off. The father did not forbid his son to go. The father did not coerce him to stay. The father did not uh, deny him his inheritance Instead, I can imagine him sitting on the front porch as his son walked away with a bag over his shoulder and with one-third of his inheritance. If you're a dad here this morning, imagine what it must have felt like for this father to watch his son walk away. I'm sure he had questions in his mind. Where is he going? What is going to happen to him? What kinds of friends is he going to make? I won't be there to help him. I hope he'll be okay. Perhaps the father was even questioning himself. Perhaps the father was saying, I wonder what I said or did that caused my young son to want to leave. I had given him everything, everything he needed. It was right here. But for some reason, he wanted to go. I hope that I didn't say or do anything 
to run him off. 18 years, they say, flies by. How many of you can relate to that, parents, in the room this morning? 18 years flies by. And then the day comes, for those who have had this experience, the day comes when you ship them off to college or you see them off to a new career in a different city. Do you imagine what you might feel? But the biggest difference here among us and this father is that we fully expect to hear from our kids. They don't always call us. Maybe just for money, and that's okay. But we fully expect to see them. We fully expect to go visit them and them visit us and that they'll keep us up to date on things going on in their lives. But in this story, we can't be sure that this father knew he would ever see his son again. But he let him go. His hope never wavers, which leads us to the third action of the father. The father waits. The father waits. Now, the narrative here doesn't necessarily address the father in this section, but you see in verses 13 through 16 the son's actions. Look at what it says there in 13b all the way to 16. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So what did he do? He squandered his wealth. He spent everything he had. He never planned for unforeseen circumstances. Do you realize that's kind of how it works? A lot of young people go out and they think they've got it all figured out and then all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere and they're not prepared. Well, that's what happened to this young man. A famine hit the land. And what were the consequences? He was feeding pigs. That's what the consequences were. Now, in Jesus' day, as he's telling this parable, this would have been very offensive to his audience. Because as you know... The Jewish people, pigs, were unclean. This was probably the last place that any self-respecting Jewish man would be, in a pig's trough. But that's where he was. Jesus gives this specific detail, I believe, to demonstrate just how low this young man had fallen. He reaped those consequences. But here's the key to this entire section no one gave him anything. You know, we live in a world where a lot of people ignore God, where a lot of people hardly think about God. Sunday morning is a time for the beach or a time for brunch or a time to go and hang out with friends. And so we live in a world where this kind of idea that there is a heavenly father is far removed. 
And so the world promises certain things. And so the world that we live in says, you know what? You can have what you want to have. You can go get what you want to go get. Whether it's fame or fortune, popularity or pleasure, happiness or health, this world will let you down. We tell ourselves lies. The more likes I get on social media, the more popular I will become. The better I feel about myself, the more I will be liked by others. The more stuff I can accumulate, the more I will be satisfied. But it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Because sin brings you close enough to promise you things and then leaves you uh, there when it doesn't come to pass. And so the more stuff we have is not really the answer. The, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. We are seeking the wrong things as a society, and as such, we are no better than the sun. But meanwhile, while the sun is squandering his wealth, wealth, we have to think about the Father. Journey back to the house with me. The Father comes out as the sun rises in the east and he sits in his rocking chair on the front porch. And he peels his eyes down the road, waiting, watching, hoping that he will see his son again. And then after the day is over, As the sun is setting in the west, the father gets up from his rocking chair and walks back inside for another night of restless sleep. Day after day, week after week, month after month, he never stops coming out and sitting on that front porch. You know, This is the point at which every father could lose heart. Every human father could lose heart. But our heavenly father, he never loses heart. He never stops pursuing. He never stops waiting. He is there. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will he do? I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we see in this parable that it happened. It happened. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go back to the Father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. 
Oh, the repentance of the Son is real. It's true. And repentance is, is nothing more than this. It is ruing or feeling genuinely sorry for how you have rebelled against your heavenly Father and then turning your back to your old life and heading full long into the loving arms of the Father. That's repentance, and that is what we experience here in this particular passage. We see that Jesus is telling us that God in heaven wants us to come home. It's pretty powerful how this son came to the point where he repented. Do you realize that after Jesus' baptism, the very first words out of his mouth in his public ministry were these? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus Christ wants sinners to repent. He came to his senses, and he came back. If there is anything that we learned from the previous two parables, it's this. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Today, the scripture says, is the day of salvation. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ today, this morning, is your day to be welcomed home by the Father. Won't you come? And that leads us to the welcoming Father. The Father welcomes, verses 20 and 21. Look at what it says there. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father sees. The father has compassion. The father runs. The father embraces and the father kisses. Oh, the heart of this parable is right in this verse. He wants to reconcile us to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The son is heading back, and he is just practicing, rehearsing those words. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. And he is practicing, and he is practicing, and he is practicing, because he is determined to go and confess his sin before his father. 
and rightly so, for God desires a, a sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. But there was one thing the son could have never imagined. The son was willing to go back and take what his father was going to give him. He was headed back there. And while he was still a long way off, he could see this figure in the distance. And it was coming toward him. But the dust on the road was kicked up and he couldn't make out quite clearly who it was. Is it my older brother? No. Oh, it's got to be one of my dad's hired servants. No. No. It's my father. It's my dad. Dad, you can't run that fast. You're going to hurt yourself. But his dad comes to him. And all of a sudden, he's on him. And what is he doing? Tears are streaming down his face. And the father throws his arms around him. And he kisses him. This is the greatest picture of God's love for his children. He loves us so much. He welcomes us home and he's kissing him and his son. He's rehearsed. He is rehearsed. My father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am not worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do? Bring a robe. Bring a ring. Bring sandals for his feet. You know, the father never even addresses his son and his sin and his waywardness. Wow! What love. What forgiveness. He came running. No rebuke. No scornful look. No, I told you so. No. He just hugged him and then called for the fattened calf. And this leads us to the fifth and final point, the father rejoices. Verses 22 through 24. Look at what it says there. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You know, there were two people who were not happy at the son's coming home. The elder brother, which we'll learn about next week, and that fattened calf. Okay. But the truth is, is that the father gives him the best robe, a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. You know, God is so ready to forgive us. When our hearts are bent to it, forgiveness is done. This is what Jeffrey read earlier. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed our has God removed our transgressions from us. I, even I, say the Lord, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sins no more. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sandals that the father placed on his son's feet. Think about this. I can guarantee you, given the status of that family, he left the house in sandals. But he came home without any on. 
another demonstration of how far he had fallen. But the sandals restore his dignity. And that ring that he placed on his finger restored his authority as his son. And that robe, it restored his identity. He was his father's son. He is in Christ. He is restored to right standing before Almighty God. Jesus then ends the parable with these words, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Before Christ, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all alienated from God. We are all rebellious against God. We are all wandering away from God. In fact, many of us are running from God. But God's Holy Spirit is still working on the heart. There are circumstances in our life that will bring us back to realization that we can't do it on our own, that the world will not give us what it promised, that only we can find hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ gives us this beautiful parable of the loving Father. And it's different than any other religion in the world today, folks. Because the gospel is unique. Every other world religion is mankind trying to reach up to God. Christianity alone is God reaching down to man. You know, Jesus is not just some moral teacher. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. Though he die, he will live again, Jesus would say. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So the Father gives. The Father lets go. The Father waits. The Father welcomes. And the Father rejoices. Oh, the depth of the riches of our great God and Redeemer. To Him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love. May it be an inspiration to all of us fathers that we would give that unconditional love that is demonstrated in this beautiful parable. Father, may we too be rightly related to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we stand together and sing this hymn, I pray, Lord, that you will work on our hearts. For those who are far from you, draw them near. For those who are waffling and wavering, may you convict them to make a decision as this young man made. For those of us who are in Christ, help us to grow more closely to you Help us to rededicate ourselves to your service because, Lord, we know that the kingdom's work is not done, that we are your co-workers in this vineyard. Help us, Father, be the feet and the hands and the heart and the eyes of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing this hymn.
As you go out today, my challenge to all of us is to reach out to a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, and invite them to worship with us next Sunday. And as you go, now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed day.